0: hello everyone and welcome back to the future in review podcast i'm barrett anderson the coo of future in review and for those of you who have never heard of us before we run the annual fire conference which the economist has called the best technology conference in the world Uh, the other arm of our business strategic news service provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy so if you enjoy these updates you can sign up for a free month of strategic news service using the link below. And I'm here today with Mark Anderson, the chair of FIRE and the CEO of Strategic News Service. And we're gonna be talking about this year's conference, which is coming up November 6th through 9th uh, at the Terranea Resort in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. Specifically, we're gonna be talking today about some of the themes that we are exploring this year. There's some interesting ones, a lot of which have been in the news this week, unsurprisingly. But Mark, great to have you back as always. You're a regular (laughs) guest on, on, on this show. Um, So you started the future interview conference about 20 years ago. I think this is our 20th conference. Took a teeny break for a global pandemic when it wasn't a good idea to bring big group of people together in a closed room. And, um, one of the hallmarks of Fire, you know, when I talk to people about Future Interview and, and what what it is and what's different about it from other conferences, a lot of what I talk to them about is the action that we take as a community and, and the attendees of Fire year after year coming back, working on these kind of really tough challenges together. And I'm wondering if you could start off just by telling our audience a little bit about some of the solution sets and ways that we've approached problem solving. As a conference in the past? Sure.
1: So uh, FIRE came from Strategic News Service after 10 years, about. And um, the reason that FIRE, it wasn't because the world needed one more conference, it didn't. Even worse now. Um, it was that we were doing things with SNS that hadn't been done before in the world of prediction and what you just mentioned predicting um, global events, global economic events based on technology drives. And so, okay, if that's working, then what do you do? And we thought, okay, that that's a, a hole. That's something that's not been done in conferences. <clears throat> so if we did create a conference, we'd do it that way. So we did. And um, it immediately became clear that it wouldn't be enough just to talk about accurate predictions. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. You want to do something about it. And that's really what FIRE became. FIRE became the arena in which to actually be active take advantage of our abilities as a group to make very accurate predictions in how technology drives the world economy and do something about it. And there's no other conference that's even close, I don't think, in that sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I both go to a lot of tech conferences in general. Uh, you know, you, as you're as you also the founding CEO of Pattern Computer, and you speak, you know, on behalf of Pattern many places. I've been to many tech conferences um and i think that action that we try so hard to foment and create um is is very unique as far as lo- the bro- like looking at the broader world looking at technology driving changes in the global economy and then taking advantage of those accurate predictions and using them to leverage real Shifts in policy or technology or innovation that can help to solve some of those problems.
1: So you were asking about what's you know what have you done? What have you done for me lately? Um, Other than pattern computer, that was pretty cool. So we built a billion dollar company on stage. Um, This is now the best company in the world at finding patterns. We did that at Fire. Well, okay, let's,
0: let's let's back up one second because you're you're referencing something that we do every year called the CTO Design Challenge. And I think our audience for this podcast may not know much about that. We haven't talked about that yet. Um, okay. What is the CTO Design Challenge and how did it come to be?
1: Well, uh, our good friend, David Brin, a longtime member of our tribe, uh, probably the best known science fiction author, one of the top five, um, had tried to create a, a TV series in New York. And I think it was picked, not picked up, but it was really good. And so he gave us the same idea, brought it to fire, and said, why don't you do this? And so I could lie and say that I invented it, but actually David did. And um, the idea was get the smartest people you can find, so chief technology officers in world-class tech companies, put them on stage, and then give them a problem far beyond their expectations or abilities. So it's not like, you know, usually it's not like something you're good at. We're yeah. just saying you're st- and here's something that you're probably not good at, but give it a shot. And what that did for the world, I hope, is that you, you're getting people with very good thinking abilities to apply themselves in an unusual way, probably an objective way, not in a rut, not from doing this every day, uh, but from the outs- outside the box, uh, solve this big problem in hunger or water or power or something. And, and so that's kind of been the basic idea of the CTO design challenge. And they get judged they go away for the whole time. It's like four days. They work day and night, work their butts off, really, and come back, come back almost universally with something valuable that then goes out into the world. So, an example I'll give you one example. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: we, um, when wildfires and urban wildfires were just beginning, uh, folks may recall this happened in San Diego County and burned a lot of homes. I think it was 2,000 homes. And, um, it was terrifying you know even as of course is today and so we had a cto challenge about that and it was brilliantly done um it involved all kinds of new technologies and rfid tags and uh, multi-spectral satellite imaging and and knowing where the fire is and is not and looking through the smoke and on and on and on and all that integrated into a war room uh so everything's centralized you know you know in that one room you know everything is happening in the entire san juan county area and we had two, the top two people who were involved in that firefighting. They were both fire captains, basically, as judges. And then I think we had the, the county um, executive, and and they were saying, "This is great, we love this." So they adopted it uh, to fight fires in in San Diego County. And then after that, I believe Adelaide, Australia, and Austin, Texas, picked it up. So um, hopefully, it's still being picked up by other towns. It's, uh, it it works, turns right? out
0: more and more towns need it, actually. Need Unfortunately. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there so, are many. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So you mentioned so we so pattern also was a, a product of the CTO challenge, right? So that spun out of this challenge. Can you create a new computing architecture that finds identifies patterns in giant data sets? without any kind of human bias about how to look for them or what the outcome should be.
1: Well put. That's exactly right.
0: And now, I mean. it's, now it's a unicorn, right? So-
1: we're seven years old, and we're, we're building uh, drugs to cure untreatable forms of cancer in the top five global cancers, and we're doing it at a rate that probably has never been done before, and we're doing other big
0: projects at the same time. I mean, the the other cool thing about that is I don't know if we should really be, be uh, publicizing this so much, but the people that were a part of that challenge, many of them wound up leaving their jobs or, you know, to become a part of that team <laughs> <True>. <laughs> because yeah. they all realized what a big deal it was. And these are people at major companies. They were like executives running these incredible other projects. And suddenly it was like, this was a, I remember you all were on stage and you're like, uh, wait a minute. We just realized we should turn this into a company. So we're not going to tell you this other part. And then well,
1: we you were, but we stopped talking after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, were, we were funded and staffed before we could get caught right after that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, all right. And
1: that's so- kind of right. Fire. Um, we always fund people and you know, we've got the fire starter program there. So, you know, we're, we're, we're not just like, Oh, nice company. I got there it's like can i join it can we fund it can we give you some customer help right. we're doing a lot of different connecting for people to get things going
0: and so so we just have talked about some of the past examples of what fires or what cto challenges have done cto design challenges have done let's so i want to switch gears a little bit now and talk about what we're doing this year right i think people now have a good idea of the kinds of things that we like to do at fire Um, And this year we've got some pretty deliberate focuses um, on a range of things, including uh, the energy transition, how to navigate that. Uh, We've got a focus on advanced machine learning and explainability and the importance of explainability. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a focus on chips and domestic chip production and the future of chips for artificial intelligence. We've got a big focus on um, the future of medical diagnostics, um, mental health, treating addiction, uh, using technology in all of these cases. Is there a specific theme or idea that we're bringing to fire this year that you are most excited about?
1: I like them all. (laughs) I do. I like them all. Well, you've mentioned five, I guess. You know, we probably have 20 or 30 in the agenda that you can see uh, on the website online. Um, so this is just a, a large-scale selection of Uber themes. Um, I love the fact that we do an advanced AI day all day long and that we have an evening of, of uh, discoveries made by Pattern Computer for, for those who are really focused on that type of technology, which is explainability. So um, there's a chance for someone who cares about these things not to just hear the usual blah, 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 you know, GPT is great. It'll never fail. And here are your guardrails. But to actually hear from people who are not compromised financially about the question, to talk about the risks and rewards of proper use, and then what can you do now to make things not so dangerous? So there would be a lot of different things coming out, which you wouldn't normally hear clearly, um, and including new discoveries and new advances in technology. And then finally, what can you do? about it, you know, actually have action steps. Mm -hmm. So I think that advanced AI day because of all the noise today about generative AI and, and increasingly about explainable AI, it's going to be a very useful day for people, people who are trying to implement these technologies and are not sure who to believe or what to do next. That'd be my favorite, I guess.
0: Are there parts of that, like for those who have not been to the conference before, or maybe like aren't going to be able to make it this year. What do you think the one thing in that, like from a prediction standpoint, what would you say is one thing that people should think about when, you know, or or a, f- a lens that they could use to look at generative AI that would help them to be more successful in their career or in their business?
1: I didn't think you were gonna say generative AI, I thought you were going in a different direction, but um, well in, to be very brief about this, this is a deep subject, obviously, no pun intended. Generative AI um, makes mistakes. A paper came out yesterday saying if you don't give it proper instructions about data, up to 70% of its responses can be wrong. Mm-hmm. A very dangerous product. And people who are trying to put this into medicine are if they're not very careful and just leading them, themselves to transcriptions, maybe, they're gonna risk lives. You know, and my feeling is don't risk lives. That's that's a really silly thing to do. So um, what has been said to us, and I believe it's true, it's a pretty good quote. If someone's going to buy GAI, they'll have to have explainability.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The reason being, if you know you've got failure in your results, you don't know where it is, you'll want to test that in a different way with a system which is explainable, meaning transparent, so that you can actually see the how and why that the system did what it did. Before you put it out into the marketplace or a hospital somewhere,
0: right? So, so I recorded a, a podcast interview yesterday with one of our speakers, uh, Marco who, um who is the VP of Cognitive Services for Azure at Microsoft. Yeah. And one of the things that that they're doing that that and this pod y'all will hear about this podcast in the future. But one of the things that they're doing that is so is different than other generative companies is they're actually sourcing every single thing that they put out there. So they have a source for like, where did this answer come from? It came from here it, and
1: the data source.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is a getting a bit to, and and that's something that they hold up as you can actually trust our services because we are, you know, giving you like visibility into, which is not explainable AI, but it is oh. moving in that direction.
1: It is. And I think it's the right way to go. Um, I would applaud them for doing that work. I will mention um, the greatest fail in the history of AI and medicine. My least favorite project, it was called Watson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Watson had a lot of problems. It's, it's no, it doesn't really exist anymore, although IBM says it does. Uh, but it does, and um, one of the problems that came up—it was quite fascinating—with regard to what you just said, Watson read um, the top two medical journals. Okay, that's the data source, uh-huh. and Watson was a good reader. I think Watson was really like ten thousand pages a second or something. So it it, it absorbs all this stuff, and um, and Watson was a neural network, just like the, these are neural networks. These are better, but. Um, it turned out about half, someone else did a study, about half, I don't know, 40 to 50% of all the papers in those data sets mm-hmm. could not be produced, which is a very nice way of saying they were crap.
0: That's not an AI problem, though. That's a, that's a that's medicine a problem.
1: problem. <laughs> well, you thought, you know, let's say you're IBM, and you thought, we'll just mm-hmm. have our computer read out of that data set, and we'll be good to go. With MD Anderson, which they tried to do, didn't work. And then you go, well, that didn't work because why? What happened there? I thought it was a Lancet, New, New England Journal of Medicine. Well, the problem was, as I just said, half the data was not useful. So um, you've got to be careful thinking that that's the only way out of the prisoners. Right.
0: Yeah, right. yeah. It's tricky. There, there are limitations to any data source.
1: There are. And so really you want to make sure that you ultimately are using explainability in addition to GPT. I'm not saying don't use GPT, but also use something that's explainable.
0: All right. So let's talk about another major theme that we're looking at this year, which is energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a bit about our the CTO design challenge as a concept. Um, and I think one of the themes that you and I, really everyone on our team is most is very interested in uh, is how do we make the energy transition successfully, but more importantly, how do we do it as quickly as possible, right? Like, how do we stop arguing about which technology is correct and just get on with it, with what we have now, with what we know we can deploy now and with what we have the capability to put in place um, and this year's CTO challenge, um, is called, we actually just, we just decided this this morning, but it's called plan a, um, and it's all about how do we maximize solar microgrid, uh, distribution and installation around the world in the next five years, right? Not the next, not by 2030, not by 2040, but right now,
1: mm-hmm. That's right.
0: um, do you want to talk a little bit more about why solar?
1: Sure. <clears throat> um, and before we address that directly, maybe make a plea to the audience here. Some people who are watching this will know us well and have watched us for 20 or 30 years and know that we have a very high publicly graded prediction rate. It's like 95% plus. So we work really hard to turn that art of pattern recognition into a science and apply it, and we have successfully applied it to a lot of different problems. And I'm mentioning that because here we are making a prediction, a set of predictions, and we're we're hoping that people will understand it's not just some idea. It's not like well, let's kick this can around the block. It's a very intense job to get a prediction right, and and you better get it right if you're going to be where you know where we are. So. Um, this simple sounding idea is a result of quite a bit of work that you've done on the grid and work that um, I've done in other areas, technically, looking at a combination of economic, technical, social, um, competitive, political, a lot of different simultaneous equations, all at play, including all the risks from global warming, Right, all at play at the same time. And, you know, if it's hard to keep two things in mind at the same time, it's harder to keep 50. And there's probably at least 50 major threads, if not more, all meeting in this one idea. And, and uh, it includes evading responsibility, buying your way out without helping the planet, um, putting things off, lying, cheating, um, wanting to help but be on the wrong path, confusing people, the usual dither, deny and delay tobacco approach to PR, of the oil companies, on, on and on and on. And it's promulgated by our conclusion together as a group, I think, that the time for dithering, denying, and delaying is way past now. right? And that we are ourselves as prediction experts, sharing our concern that those days are over and we really have to do something right, right, right now. That we're, what we're seeing are, a series of exponential changes, uh, often with more than one thread involved. Um, and often they're, they're inter- interacting with each other to create even higher exponential changes, all dangerous to people, to the planet. And they're happening in ways and at rates which were completely unforeseen by uh, scientists today. So, or most scientists today. So this whole thing with the IPCC reports and 1.5 degrees, Personally, I just reject all that. And, and even being afraid of high water rise, water, ocean uh, level, I, I think they missed the whole deal. And so having come to these conclusions, it's like, uh-oh, well, we better tell people if we really believe that. And then, And, and then if we all share this view that things are happening faster by many orders of magnitude than people predicted, what can we do? And so when we bring this simplistic sounding idea to people at fire, which we will, um, I'm sure they'll argue and they'll wonder why suddenly such a simple thing is being proposed when there are millions of things that are underway. And the only real answer.
0: Entrepreneurs all will understand it's called the MVP, right? It's like you can spend 30 years building the really complicated version of the thing without knowing if it's going to work. Or you can build something really small that works really well to test. In fact, we have the MVP already. It's like scaling the MVP, right? Right. This is not the future end platform of all energy. This is how do we take the MVP and deploy it everywhere in the next five years and not the next 15 years or 20 years that it would take to, you know, build enough nuclear power plants or, you know all of those things that people debate about and debate about and debate about like plan a, which we know will work and help us out a lot. We've got, so let's build that now.
1: You got it. It'll work. And you know, we, we made up this sub theme called thrive and five, which I kind of like. And the idea is not only the, you know, it's not like we're anti anything. It's just look, get it done. Yeah. And the cost of waiting in terms of planetary damage or human damage, if you wait 20 years to get things going, I can't even describe the amount of damage that's going to happen. It's, not, it's hard to describe. So, you know, we've almost lost Canada this year to wildfire. It's crazy. So we can't wait 30 years to get going here. You, you couldn't put a dollar figure or a human cost figure on the cost of waiting. Uh, so let's not wait. Let's just do this right now. And the flip side of this, which is more joyful, is then it's done. I mean, I really believe that. Do this and then you're done. Go back to work. Have fun. Global warming? Check the box. And that would be such an amazing relief to all of humanity uh, that they could turn their attention to some other set of problems instead of living in dread all the time. So I think it's time for us to be activists and responsible. Do the easy thing, as hard as it may be. And then do something else, you know, get on with it.
0: One of the, you know, for those who maybe are not like necessarily well-versed in the energy space, there is a reason to focus specifically on energy, which is energy and electricity is the platform upon which we can decarbonize about 75% in the United States of total emissions, right? Mm -hmm. And so... While people are working on you know, manufacturing and agriculture and electrifying all of these spaces and buildings, commercial buildings, um, transportation, those are all parts of the ecosystem that are significant and that need to be electrified. But underlying that, the most important thing is you can electrify all the cars that you want, but everyone could have electric cars. It wouldn't matter at all if the system was not based on renewables and the fastest way to do that.
1: Right, right, right. Yep. So that's the idea. And I'm sure we'll have a lot of uh, interesting conversations late into the night about whether this is a good idea and if it is a good idea how to do it, but it will Mm -hmm. also be uh, the source of the CTO design challenge. And hopefully they can uh, quickly move past the, um, the value of the simplicity of it and help us figure out how to actually get it done. Yeah. All right,
0: so I wanna one, one other theme that I think we should talk about, and you've mentioned it briefly, but this is a big one that I that I think you know we're seeing you're actually building on a day-to-day basis, but the impact of artificial intelligence to positively change medical outcomes, yeah. um, model earth systems That's and Uh, specifically, because this is, a you know, we've talked about the potential, the negative, all the bad things that are going on. But the point, one of the themes of this year's conference is being the, you know, see the, moving away from the doom and, and gloom aspect, seeing the opportunity that we have in front of ourselves as far as what can we do about climate change, you know, all of these things that are going on in the world and moving into that. Right? Helping people to see the opportunity of the moment mm-hmm. that we're in because so much media and news content is focused on everything's terrible, everything's horrible, we're all gonna die, everyone hates each other. And yes, so,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't like that.
0: So instead, we're yeah. gonna talk about how the positive aspects of this, right? Um, yeah. How do you see the future of medicine evolving? We have, you know, Lee Hood is coming to speak yeah. about the transition from genomics to phenomics. Yeah, we've Scientific got
1: medicine, your book. He's yeah, that'll be great. Yep.
0: Are there other aspects of the future of medicine that you think are underappreciated now? Yes.
1: Yes. Um, I I think that this is pretty cool, actually. If you look at the whole history of medicine, I don't have a lot of respect for I do for the people, but not for the actual science. So, um, going back, you know, from today backwards. You're looking at a lot of pill pushing, a lot of money, not so many people saved as, as people, as customers, and, you know, a lot of problems and uh, a lot of confusion, not very much information about who died from what uh, or why. So it's not, it's not data-driven. Mm-hmm. And this gigantic moment of pivot in medicine as we move from standard of care which could kill you all day long if it's done improperly, to evidence-based, ooh, who thought of that word? Evidence-based, what a shocking idea. Well, that's rare. To data-driven, where everything is data-driven. And that will change everything in medicine. So at that, you know, on the left hand, that's the flow of the history of medicine, of healthcare. So we're right in the middle of that right now. And on the right-hand side, we've got the history of computing and of AI. And equally shocking and exciting is the changes that are happening there. So to have a shift in AI where we move in science from, I have a hunch. I wonder if it'll work. yeah, That's all we've done until now. That's all we've done until now. I have a hunch. Maybe it'll work. Into a new model, which is you're not allowed to have any hunches now, just data-driven. And let the data provide the initial hypotheses for whatever you want to do, radically different a scientific method just got flipped. And so take those two trains of thought and collide the trains. And then you now have AI crossed with healthcare at a time when both are going through this gigantic pivot into being driven by data only, not by bias. And wow, that's this, it was like this, this year. So, so what, um, does that,
0: what does that mean for the average, like, if, if, I'm, if I'm experiencing health issues, how will that affect me?
1: Well, imagine, first of all, you've heard the term, and, and Larry Smar, who will be with us again, uh, helped coin the, the term precision medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that means that we know more and more about you personally before we give you the pill or before we give you whatever we're going to give you as a treatment. Uh, we might know more about your microbiome. We might know more about what you eat and drink every day. That's a shock. They don't teach that in medical school. And so all these different things, which are very, very important to determining what your health state is from minute to minute. You know, mm-hmm. your circadian rhythms, which we'll have on stage uh, with our son. So a lot of stuff going on there that are deeply involved in your health and have had no presence whatsoever in diagnostics for you and then proper treatment for you personally. So personalized medicine itself is getting a lot of airtime. It hasn't gotten a lot of use yet, and it will get used. We will use your, your genome and how your genome expresses and all these things I just mentioned to understand, is this drug for cancer good for you, not for an average person? Mm-hmm. And that's personalized medicine. And it's- then we're also going to be discovering things that weren't discovered before. So just the drugs themselves. You know, until now, t- today, in the industry, the hit rate for a new drug is less than one out of 10,000 tries. Whew. That's bad. And uh, just as an example here, I am boasting, but Wait, a pattern what, what was,
0: is, Okay, back, back up. What is, what is hit rate for those of us who are not medical?
1: From the beginning of identifying targets to be addressed in helping make you healthier
0: mm-hmm.
1: for disease to the end point of getting it into a market where you might be able to, as a as a patient, be able to benefit from it.
0: I see. So you're saying as new drugs are developed, only one in 10,000 10, or less. One out of 10,000 actually works.
1: Yep. And get to market. Okay. Yep.
0: Got it. Got it.
1: Now, what if you could do a higher number? You know, one out of 1,000. would be good. Well, right now, we're not done with our, our runs of taking things through human trials. But our numbers are in the in the 11 to 16% range. So we're already doing 10,000 times better than the industry. And again, it's, it's because we don't do, hey, I got a hunch. And when you that. say
0: "R," just to, to clarify for everyone else, you're talking about the pattern team.
1: I am. But yeah. I'm also suggesting that the use of explainability will not be restricted only to us. There'll be more and more companies that discover ways of doing this, not lying about it, or hinting at it, but really, really doing it. Um, And when they do that, it'll have a, a gigantic effect on the effectiveness of drugs and the ability to be efficient in our production of new drugs and new discoveries compared to the old ways. These things are going to have a very large effect on human beings or patients because they're not going to be the guinea pigs in the way that they have been until now.
0: Can you imagine, I was just thinking about this, but can you imagine going into your doctor's appointment and your doctor looks at your last, rather than being like, okay, I have five minutes, what's wrong with you? And here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to charge you a thousand dollars at the end of it. And your insurance will cover 100 of those dollars. Your doctor looks at your, you know, your, all of your personal medical data for the last month or two, depending on the context of your illness Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And they can see exactly when your temperature changed. They can see exactly when you know your what your sleep patterns were, when they were disrupted, how they were disrupted. They can tell your heart rate and your blood pressure. They can prescribe you kind of like preventative care measures based on what they're seeing. They can see exactly what's going on in your body over time.
1: Close, pretty close. Yep. Yep.
0: But pretty close. And when you combine that with what we're talking about now, which is an understanding of your personal genome and patterns and phenome and patterns in that and how treatments have applied for people or other, you know, beings with the same or similar biomarkers. It's just a complete revolution in the applicability and the usefulness of of medical care. It's true.
1: But wait, there's more. because. Um, As you're aware, Pattern built a device which appears to be unique using light to make a diagnosis of what you've got. So we built it for COVID. With COVID, we could see with two drops of saliva, three seconds of test using light. We could see through your sample and find the fingerprint of that disease using our engines. And so um, we're now expanding that to over 20 diseases. And you know the, the question will be, um, can you walk into your doctor's office, and in addition to what you just said, Barrett, could you uh, maybe for five dollars true cost, um, three seconds, two drops of saliva, maybe we can look at twenty-five to fifty different alternative diseases as for you know as do you have those or not, um, and tell you in three seconds. That would be disruptive. And then you marry that with all the stuff you just said about you know, better drugs, better treatment, better understanding of your own personalized situation. And now you're really talking. Now there's a real revolution in in medical care.
0: Well, with that.
1: With that. Come to find,
0: Well, yeah, I mean. The, the point of this conversation really is to talk a little bit about you know for those who haven't been to fire understanding what what kinds of things we do and get into and, and why um and also you know for those who maybe you know are not going to be able to make it this year to have an understanding of the kinds of patterns that we're seeing in the world and and how they might think about them but i'm very excited um for those of of you who will be there or who are able to make it, please join us. If you can, it's going to really be an incredible event. Um, And I'm very excited to, to be there in person with all of our incredible speakers and it's going to
1: be for those folks who do see this and and decide to come to fire from what you've told them at the beginning, they'll understand you're not just coming passively so that, you know, have some popcorn and kind of watch the PR crap on stage. You, you know, you're going to see things which you'll want to be part of. Yeah. you're Who you really wanted to meet. You become friends with folks you never dreamed you could be friends with. They're going to do things that really matter. And it'll be like the high point of your, probably, of your year. So um, it's something life-changing and really exciting. And, and so, you know, if any of these things we just talked about are interesting to people, listening you're watching um here's your shot you know here's your shot be part of it
0: sign up well so we'll include the link um to the fire registration website below um as well as a a special discount code for podcast viewers um if you'd like to sign up you can do so using those two things um, and if you'd like to get involved in the CTO challenge design challenge in some other way, say you're not allowed, you're not able to make it to the conference, or you want to be a part of it at the conference, um, you can send uh, me an email. My email is barrett, B E R I T, at stratnews.com. We are currently recruiting uh, participants. So if this is something that you're passionate about, you want to get involved in, how do we accelerate this en- energy transition? you're looking at the news and feeling hopeless, this is a great way to do it. It's a way to be a part of something that is very meaningful with a group of people who can actually do something about it. So we encourage you to reach out. All right, Mark. Well, Well, I will see you at the Future in Review Conference.
1: I'll see you there. Thanks a lot. Thank
0: Thank you.